Do you ever see this little artistic rendering of a word? Um, you find it at craft fairs and so forth. It's, uh, it's almost a cliche now. Um, I'm thinking of the word breathe. Ever see that? You know, just artistically written out, breathe. Oh, what, what are they telling us to breathe for? Like, don't we all pretty much know that we're supposed to breathe? And, and uh, do we really even have to be? Do we even have to think about breathing? I mean, technically, it's not an autonomic part of it, but it's almost on auto. The problem, of course, is that when you get nervous, when you get stressed, when you're upset, all at once you may realize, wait, I haven't been breathing. I've been kind of either breathing shallowly or holding my breath. And so when people say breathe, it's like, okay, just stop, chill, breathe a deep breath, hold it, you know, breathe it out. And that's kind of the, it's the idea of relaxing. Um, I think we could, we could just as easily uh, submit the word pray there, at least for Christians. For Christians, prayer and breathing are almost autonomic. Um, you know, they, they, they ought to be just instinctual. We shouldn't hardly even have to. Have you ever been praying and you didn't think about the fact that you were going to pray? You were, you, it's like you're just suddenly aware, wait, I'm, I'm praying. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah? You're just like maybe driving down the road. Like, oh, I'm, pr- I'm praying. Um, it's, it's natural. It should be natural for us. And so the big idea today, this is really revolutionary stuff. You probably saw that in the bulletin. You went, wow, Jay is really over his skis on this one. So this is the big idea today. Pray. Okay? Pray. You've never heard that in a sermon before, so new stuff. Um, think about the context here, though. When we talk about praying, when I say pray, when I urge you to pray, we can have a lot of guilt feelings about prayer because most of us are not as prayerful as we'd like to be and we have a sense that we're doing something wrong. Let's put this into the context, though, of the book of Colossians for a moment. Think about the whole reason for the letter, why Paul was writing and the false teachers and what they were, what they were pushing. It was a very performance-based thing that the false teachers were pushing. They were like, do this, don't do that. Touch this, don't touch that. Keep these rituals, keep these, you know, these Sabbaths and this and the new moons and whatnot and, and treat your body poorly and in that process you'll become more spiritual and then you'll have visions of heaven and so on and so forth. So it was all a big deal to them. It was all very performance driven. And throughout this, Paul has been saying to us the same thing in many different ways, that our life is hidden with God in Christ. We have died to the old self. We're alive in Him. We are rooted and built up and established in our faith in Christ. The substance is Christ. All those old forms were shadows. Jesus is the substance. That's what he keeps reminding us of. And it's all, you know, the Christian life, when you get right down to it, it it's, it's not weird. <laughs> It's only weird when you stop and really ponder some of the things that, that, that we hold to and accept as, as true, and it's, it's, it's supernatural. But on, on the day-to-day basis, we, as we learn more about Christ, go back to Colossians 1.9, we learn what it is that pleases Him, how to live a life that brings forth fruit. And we looked at that with regard to various sins that we were to put on. We were to put on Christ. How we're to live. How we're to live in the family. How we're to live with regard to our employer. This is all, it looks very normal. And that's, that is our life in Christ being lived out. And so when we get to prayer, I'm gonna, see I got, it, I got it back around to where I was going. 
When we're talking about prayer, it's not this, this thing that we're earning points with God or that we're doing this in this really splashy or, or particularly formal kind of setting. It is, it is life. As Christ is our life, and it's natural, and it's organic, and it's daily, and it's ongoing, prayer ought to be the same thing. So breathe, right? Pray, <laughs> pray, be in, that, be in that place. Now we're going to look at a few goals for the prayer life that, that we are to have in this regard, and uh, Paul gives us quite a few things here, so we're going to run through them. Um, well, we're not going to speed, but we're, we're going to move through quickly. Uh, be steadfast in prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Notice right away, Paul thinks you're praying already. He doesn't say start praying. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. So the idea is that you're already praying. Just don't give up and don't quit. That's kind of what steadfast means. As hard as it might be for you to understand, because I know you guys are all just really, really prayer people, and, and you're just praying continually without ceasing, and that's what the Bible says, right? So you're so much in prayer, but there are people who forget to pray. It's true. There are sometimes people, people weird, weird, strange people, um, forget to pray, and, and they'll go days without really deeply praying, and then suddenly it, 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 they become aware that, wait, I, I haven't been praying how strange is that? Okay, I was having a little fun there, but I, I, I am no different than you are, I trust. With very few exceptions among you, I would guess that most of us have times when we're not praying. And it's more than a moment. It's more than an hour. It may be more than a day without really, genuinely, truly prayed. And, and when those times come, it's because we're so busy doing something important. We don't have time to pray. I got to get stuff done. Got to get her done. I got urgent things that have to be attended to. And then what we're, what we start to suffer from spiritual COPD. We're, we, we, we stop getting our breath. We stop getting, we, we lose that, that sense of being in prayer. God is all around us. Christ is in us, around us, through us, under us. And yet we're not talking to him. If we could see ourselves in spiritual terms if you've ever been fishing and you've thrown a fish up onto the bank and you look over, what's that fish doing? Right? He's got oxygen all around him in the, in the air. Yes, however much percent nitrogen and so much. Why doesn't he just breathe? Why, why is he having so much trouble? He can't utilize it in that form. He can't, he can't make anything of it. And, and we, we're kind of living with God's presence all around us in Christ, but we come into these times of prayerlessness. We don't pray steadfastly. When we say um, pray steadfastly, we're not saying do that to earn favor with God. Do this as this great ritual that's going to achieve something. Oh, if you do it just right, and you keep these rules and do that just in the exact right way that the false teachers are telling you, then you'll be really special. No, you pray because to be steadfast in prayer helps you to be steadfast in your faith. It helps you resist the tempter. You think about when Jesus was uh, about to be betrayed and he was praying in the garden. When he came back, what did he find his disciples doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. And, and he says to them, awake, you know, rise. Pray lest you fall into temptation. Pray, dear ones, because prayer is your spiritual respiration. 
It is part of your spiritual life. You are alive in Christ. And living people breathe. Yeah? Don't they? Typically. Most living people I know make a pretty good practice of breathing. Christians as alive in Christ. Not to become alive. You, if you are in Christ, you're already alive. But this is your respiration. This is, it's, it's, it's supposed to be ongoing, and you're to be steadfast in that. Be watchful in prayer. Be watchful in prayer. Here we have the idea of vigilance. We're like the, we're like the person set uh, along the wall looking out toward the enemy. We have that, that watchful character. You say, well, what are we to be watchful about? Well, I mean, in the context of the letter, you might be watchful about false teachers. That, that could be one thing. Pastors and elders are watchful over the flock, lest things come in that, that ought not to be. We, so we, it's, it's watch care. It, we watch over our own souls, even as we've taken communion. We've thought about, where's my soul with the Lord? Am I being watchful? Be watchful in prayer. It's pretty heavy when you really get right down to it. When you think of all the enemies arrayed against your soul, yes, you are in Christ, and that is your comfort. But how do you navigate that watchfully? How do you remain in that, in that place of vigilance? I would suggest that the answer is to pray. That if we pray, then we will be watchful. They, they go hand in hand. Say you're getting on Facebook. I'm going to kind of address this to the ladies. I'm, I'm sure it's not just, I, I read that this is more for a ladies' issue than a men's issue. I'm not saying men aren't tempted in this way, but let's say you, you're going to get on Facebook. Ladies, you better pray. Because you know old Janice is going to have her family, her perfect family there on their perfect vacation, wearing their perfectly coordinated outfits, doing some, some tradition that they've made special in their family, and I've not got time to even wash the dishes. That's envy, right? That's envy. If you're going on Facebook, ladies, maybe pray before you go on. Lord, help me to be watchful over my heart. Let me rejoice for Janice. Because I know Janice isn't half as happy as she thinks she is. But anyway, <laughs> right? Be, be in pr- Men, you're going to go on, surf the net. Well, I just think I'll just knock back and relax and surf the web a little bit. Men, pray. <laughs> pray. Maybe you shouldn't even go there. But if you do, pray before you go there because you know. You, you know why. You need to pray. You need to be watchful as, as you go into that situation. I would say men and women, but men maybe more, when we get behind the wheel of a car, pray beforehand, be watchful. Not just that you don't get you know, T-boned, but pray about your heart attitude toward all those people on the road that can't drive. You know all the people I'm talking about? It's defined by everyone but you. They can't drive, and you get behind the wheel, and you're a Christian, and then all at once you're not. <laughs> or you don't feel like much of one at that, at that point, or whatever it might be. Or how about being watchful for the time, that we redeem the time, and we go, we go out, and, and there's opportunities to talk to someone. I had someone tell me yesterday, somebody I'm pretty close to, they were in all, Dylan's of all places, and, and somebody made an offhand remark, which just... She just thought that was an open door to start preaching the gospel to him. I'm like, you go, girl. That's, you know, it, it, be watchful. To, but, but to be watchful, I think the implication is you have to be prayerful. 
That these things don't happen apart from a spirit, spiritual respiration of prayer in our lives. Be thankful in prayer. How many times do we see those things going together in Scripture, prayer and thanksgiving? How many uh, learned the, uh, is it an acronym or an acrostic? I never know which is which. ACTS, you know, A-C-T-S. How many learned that when you first became a Christian, right? Do you remember what it stands for? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Very good. You got, you got it. There's always that idea that with with prayer ought to go thanksgiving. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 6. Very, very, this will come to your mind right away. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? Why? What difference does the thanksgiving element within, within prayer, what, what difference does it actually make? Well, when we are praying, thanksgiving has a way of tuning our heart in prayer. Because when we're praying, thankfully, we're seeing the grace of Christ. We're seeing how gracious and merciful God has been to us through Christ. That in Him we have every good gift. You know, that the Father in heaven, the Father of lights who's the giver of good gifts, has, has literally given us everything in Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously along with him give us all things? It emboldens us. We, we, when we thank God, you go to the Lord in prayer, you, you just spend some time thanking. It's like it lifts your heart because you start seeing all of the positive, wonderful things that God has given and done for you. You go into prayer cranky. You go into prayer downtrodden. You go into prayer, uh, you know, sleepy. And, and you start thanking. And all of a sudden you become aware of all that is yours in Christ. And then it emboldens, emboldens you to ask for more. Like, God has been so gracious. How much answered prayer have I experienced? I'm going to, I should pray more. <laughs> yeah? Be a little greedy in prayer. Hey, he's given me this much. Why don't I pray for even more? It will, it will supercharge your prayer life because you start to take stock of the character of God. That God is a gracious Father who graciously gives. He teaches us to do this, to seek and ask and knock and pray for our daily bread. And He gives. Thankfulness is, what, is the little trigger that reminds you of that. It's, it's like, okay, if we go back to the breathing analogy. Uh, if you hyperventilate, what do they have you do? Breathe into a paper bag. Why would you do that? Anybody know the reason behind that? Carbon dioxide. Because that triggers actually proper respiration. Thanksgiving's like that. It triggers proper praying, as it were. Pray for gospel servants. We're kind of shifting now in the text. There's like a little turn here because what Paul has been concentrating on is like the manner of prayer, and now he kind of gets at what we're asking for, what we're really looking for. Pray for gospel servants. It says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul is the one man in Scripture who seems least uh, um, requiring prayer. Like, he was a one-man superhero, wasn't he? Like of all the, the greats, you know, like if you have to rank the really great minds, the, the powerful, energetic people of the Bible, it's Paul. 
Paul was so smart. He goes, in, he goes to Athens alone, right, with half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair. He goes to Athens all alone, walks into the, to the Areopagus, which is where all the philosophers gathered. This would be like walking into like the, the faculty lounge at Oxford if there were such a thing, and I'm sure there's not. But you get, you get what I mean. He just goes right in there, just plows away and starts talking about the gospel. Furthermore, he had Christ promised him. Christ had already told him this is what was going to happen. This is what he would do for him, what he would suffer, and what he would accomplish. So it's already a fait accompli, right? Like it's been told to him, this is what you're going to do. The sovereignty of God was going to accomplish this in his life. He had been raised uh, under the tutelage of Gamaliel, one of the absolute greatest pharisaical minds of the day. He could speak Greek. He knew Greek poets and could quote them verbatim. So he shouldn't really have required prayer at all. I mean, technically you and I don't need prayer either, do we? Because God is sovereign, and I believe in a sovereign God. Do you believe in a sovereign God today? Okay. And that God providentially, you know, the, the Westminster Confession talks about how he works all things according to the purposes of his will. I believe that, so I don't need prayer, right? <laughs> Actually, Paul needed prayer. He, he longed to have them praying for him. I, of all people, need prayer. I may not be Paul. I may not be a super apostle. Um, I may not be imprisoned for my faith, but you know what? I need prayer. I do. Um, do you, I know I, when you come to Grace on a Sunday morning, you expect certain things, yes? You think, well, I think Jay's probably going to preach something from the Bible. Yeah? You probably came today knowing it would be Colossians. Huh? Very smart. You're ahead of the curve. And, uh, and you're like, he's going to get to, he's going he's to weave the gospel into the message, and at the end, he's going to give a gospel invitation. You just know that's all true. So it's all on autopilot. You don't need to pray, do you? You need to pray. I might have lost. I could have been, become apostate last week for all you. You don't know. You, we need prayer. Christians need prayer. People who are gospel ministers need the prayer. And you're like, well, you're, you're going to be gone soon. Um, and that's true enough. Um, you know, I got another year, and then, and then I'll be retired. But um, there's going to be somebody that's going to take my place. And you're already plotting. You're like, we're going to hire somebody way better than you next time. That's for sure, right? I don't care how good he is. He's going to need you to pray. Because it's only through prayer that God does the work of, of the gospel falling on, on men's heart. We need that. We need that. Pray for those key ministries in the, that, are, that are declaring the gospel. Pray God opens doors for the gospel. This is the heart of what Paul is really asking for them to pray for, that God would open doors. Do you know that our God is the locksmith of heaven? It sounds like something Spurgeon probably said at some point, but I don't know. I think I came up with But he is. He's the God who opens doors. He opens doors that are locked. He locks doors and no one opens. That's what he says in the book of Revelation. Jesus said, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. That's saying that God is sovereign over doors. Over doors. Now, Paul was looking at a closed door at this point. He was in prison. 
Not, not quite maybe the prison that, that he was in at the, at the very end of his life. That was a different situation. It was far more severe. Here, this is like what we saw at the end of the book of Acts. He's in prison, but it's kind of house arrest. He has people coming to this rented home that he's at. But he's got, he's got guards. He's got a closed door. He can't get through that door. And he wants to go to Spain. He wants to take the gospel to Spain. So he's literally staring at closed doors. God had intended to send him to the Gentiles. God had a work ordained for him. And yet, what is Paul praying for? What is Paul asking them for? He's saying, pray that this locksmith of heaven, that he will open doors for me that I, that I may preach Christ. COVID did a real number on churches and on missions. It is weird to see, just like just in attendance, like the difference between pre-COVID and post-COVID here, here at Grace. But it was worse for a lot of our missionaries. There were missionaries that, uh, two of our missionaries almost got stuck for a couple years overseas. They got out just in time to get home and then find out that the door was shut, that they couldn't go back. Yeah, and we had a, cu- a couple different missionaries like that. Jonathan Phillips's brother, Mark. You know Mark? We've talked about Mark and his ministry. He's been doing work in Niger. Rhymes with Niger, not Tiger. Um, for those, uh, it's Niger. Anyway, he's been there for years. And they just, they just had a military coup in that country. And America, the government said, get out, everyone. You need to get out or your life is, yeah, forfeit. And so they left. They had to come home. That, that is a hard thing. We should be praying, praying for those gospel servants that they will literally have that door open back up to them and they would come back and be able to do the ministry. I know Mark desperately wants to get back there. Two things strike me at this point. Um, first of all, isn't it interesting that when we get to what it is we're praying for, that it's not the typical things we pray for? Like if you become more prayerful in your life, I hope these would be the kind of prayer emphases. But chances are you're going to be praying about a lot of other things. And I don't want you to feel guilty about that because we are supposed to pray for a lot of things. We're supposed to pray about everything, basically. Everything you need, you know, you should be asking God for. In everything, by prayer and petition, you talk to God about it. Do you know that even when you want something that in your heart you know is wrong, you should probably pray and ask God for that? Just so that in prayer you'll realize, no, I shouldn't be asking for that. Like, God forbid you want your neighbor's wife. Turn that into prayer. Hey, Lord, I love so that can teach us a lot, right? But the, but the, but the key thing that, that Paul is saying pray for is an open door for the gospel to be shared. And that, and that should become so much closer to the focal point of our prayers. I'm not saying to exclude anything else. Give us this day our daily bread. But, but the gospel, the kingdom, that should be where it really, really matters most to us in prayer. Second thing that hits me is this implies a scary kind of prayer for most of us. Because when I say, I need prayer, and, and, and I really earnestly do, and that for, for the Lord to do a good work in this church, prayer is important, you go, okay, let me write that down. Pray more for Jay. But if I said to you, pray that God gives you open doors, that's a scary kind of prayer, isn't it? 
Do you, do you ever pray that way when you're going to go someplace specific? Like, let's say you're going to travel on a train. You know, when was the last time you traveled on a train? But you're going to be in a public place, seeing people you didn't know before you got there and probably won't meet. Do you ever pray, Lord, open a door. I want to have a conversation. I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. You know what the annoying thing about that prayer is? That God tends to answer it. <laughs> and then you'll be like, oh, there's that open door I asked for. And suddenly it's on you. Do, do, are you going to be bold? Are you going to speak boldly? Pray to declare the mystery of Christ. The open door that Paul's praying for is to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, what is the mystery of Christ in the book of Colossians? The mystery of Christ, as Paul has explained it in the book of Colossians, is that the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the, the Jewish Messiah, that that gospel of the kingdom is for the nations as well. That's what they didn't see coming. That was the mystery that was just mind-blowing for the Apostle Paul. And that perfectly comes together with the Great Commission. Because what does the Great Commission say? Do you know it? Go therefore and make disciples of all the Jews, baptizing them in the... Of all nations. He says go... And, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the mystery. It is Christ to the nations. If we want to pray according to God's will, that's the sort of prayer that perfectly aligns what, with what God wants. God, God is about the business of reaching the nations can we be engaged in missionary work at home? Yes, after a fashion, that's evangelism, that's reaching our community, but there's a point of the spear that's out there. There's the cutting edge of the knife out there where, where the kingdom of God is pushing out to doors that once were closed but, but suddenly are open. You say, well, isn't, isn't the gospel on retreat in the world today? Is it, aren't we losing ground no, we're not. No, we're not. Now, in the U.S., have, have we been set back here and there? Sure. But when you look at it worldwide, if you're a, a boomer, you remember when Barry mentioned Albania and, and this incredibly cool thing that was happening there with this young lady in the, in the Bible, and you're like, yes, Albania used to be considered a completely secular state when there was an Iron Curtain. Yeah, they were, they were considered to be 100% atheistic in Albania at one time. Now, that was probably always uh, what the government was saying, not necessarily what the people were doing. But it, yeah, it's amazing that there's, you got an open door there for the gospel. You look at Korea. You look at Singapore. I mean, they're just vast areas of the world that were closed to the gospel that have opened. One of our missionaries, I was mentioning him uh, a, a little earlier here, but he's talking about a, a church planting movement that looks like it's going to really catch hold in the area where he's working, and that is a closed, closed country. Another one of our missionaries in their newsletter this month mentioned the fact that they, uh, they, they were at, an, I think it was an airport, but it might have been a mall or someplace like that in a particularly closed Muslim country. This country is so closed, I gave a, a friend of, from this country a Bible once, uh, but we acknowledged between the two of us he would never take that back into his country because he can't have it. And in that country, just the other day, was a book stand of Christian books for sale in a public place. Huh? Is that cool? 
Door, doors are opening. We need to pray that that, that that gospel of the kingdom keeps going to the nations. Finally here, pray to declare it clearly. Paul says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, there's a, there's a, a particular guy on YouTube I watch from time to time that I really enjoy. Um, he, he's a, uh, well, they've got a number of different ministries. One of them is to Mormons. Uh, and, and he will go out on the streets of Salt Lake City when there's a big Mormon convention and like all of the, the missionaries are either coming back or going out and he'll just go and set up a little place and he'll, he'll it's just kind of like come talk to me if you're a Mormon and, and people descend on him and they start having a little friendly debate if you will but he starts preaching the gospel to them and it's, it's, it never gets ugly at least on his part. He's always just like soft spoken but he is absolutely just 100% clear about the gospel and about what they believe. And it's, it, it is, I don't want to say it's entertaining, but it's, it's educational to watch somebody just, del- and that's what, when Paul says that he wants to bring it clearly, um, as the ESV has it translated, I'm not sure that's the best translation, only in this fact. It, you might hear that as, well, Paul wants to get his words worked out so he doesn't you know, so that he doesn't speak over their head or whatever the kid. What Paul is saying here, when he says clearly, he's saying, I want to say it as it is and not pull any punches. I mean, that would be Jay's, uh, you know, modern English uh, translation. Pray I don't wimp out when I declare Christ. Pray I don't pull my punches to make things more comfortable for me. Pray that I tell it like it is. I'm clear. It, uh, some translations have the word bold. It is a, it is a bold clearness because souls are too important not to be clear to when it comes to the gospel we're bearing christ's name we are bearing christ's message of salvation to the world we're supposed to speak it and speak it plainly that's how people get saved if we give them a muddled message you know, if we talk about Jesus, but we don't, we don't get to the cross and the resurrection and salvation through the gospel, then, then we're not really giving them what they need to believe upon and be saved. I've told this story many times, so bear with me, but uh, if you haven't heard it, I had my, my pastor buddy from years ago, his testimony, he had been raised in a cult. He went to a retreat for a Christian ministry over a weekend one time, and, the, and the, some of you are like, I know this story. Yeah, you do. So this guy looked at, looked at my pastor buddy at the time, young, young 20-something, um, non-believer, and he says, are you a Christian, John? And my buddy John said, yes, I am. This guy looked at him and said, no, you're not, and if you died, you'd go to hell. And uh, you know what? I'm not saying that that's how you should approach every witnessing situation. But you know what that had going for it? Clarity. (laughs) It was clearly, boldly saying it as it is. And in his testimony, it wasn't like two weeks later. It was right then and there. Through the clarity of that message that he came to faith in Christ. Now, what does that suggest to us? We should pray that we can deliver the gospel clearly. And when you hear that story, you're like, I don't think I'm that clear or that bold. You know what? How do you get there? How do you get to, to, to the place where you can just speak the gospel clearly? I'm going to throw out, it's a four-letter word, um, but I would suggest 
pray. Pray. Pray that we might, as a church, as individuals, from the pulpit, but, but in your witnessing, pray that you can speak the gospel clearly to people. Pray, dear brothers and sisters, pray like it matters because it does. Pray to be steadfast, steadfast and watchful and thankful. Pray in a way that is natural, that is the respiration of your soul to God. Pray about the gospel. Pray for the ministers who have to deliver the gospel, who preach from pulpits here and around the nation. Pray that they would deliver it rightly, that they would deliver it clearly. Pray that God, the locksmith of heaven, would open doors to people groups and and to the hearts of individuals, to the nations. Pray that they would do it clearly. Pray that you would have an open door and that you would speak clearly for Christ. If you don't believe in Christ, uh, may I ask you just really quickly if, you, if, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who doesn't know Jesus, um, is the door open? Is the door open? By that I mean are you really listening? Like if, if today you were mentally, intellectually convinced that Jesus Christ died for sinners, and rose again, would you trust him? Would you believe in him? Would you want what he has? We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that that he was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And that's why we keep declaring it. That is why we take communion. It, it It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are proclaiming, a gospel which saves sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world. He died for sinners. He rose the third day such that all who turn and believe in him would have union with him and life everlasting. And that's what we offer you today. We just urge you and and we pray that that door would be open and that you would respond from your heart, that you would repent. That just... That just means you're, tur- you're turning away from everything you've been doing. What, you know, you're just turning your whole heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your trust in him. And if you do that today, you will come into that relationship with Christ and you'll start to live. You'll start to live. You say, I'm already alive. No, you're dead in your trespasses and your sin. I'm talking about living spiritually. You're, go- you're going to come alive to God and just like, like somebody that's been at the bottom of a, of a pool for too long and they race to the surface, you're going to break that surface and you're going to breathe. You're going to, be, you're going to be talking to God. You're going to be in relationship with the almighty creator of heaven and earth with his son Jesus Christ and, and you will breathe. You will pray. And that's what we're going to do now. Father, we, we are people of prayer Well, we say we are. We say we are. Lord, and and you know how focused we can become on on the things that we have to accomplish and get done. We're very, very busy people, Lord. And, And sometimes we're too busy to breathe. Sometimes we're too busy to pray. And forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to pray continually and steadfastly and watchfully and thankfully. And, and Lord... Yeah, that that might just be the natural overflow of our heart every day. And that we might 
not only pray for our daily bread, but pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done, for the gospel of Christ to break down walls and, and go through doors and see your kingdom spread from, from one shore to another. We, we ask for that, Lord. We ask that you do that in the heart of someone today that might hear this message, that they might come to Christ, say yes to him, and be saved. We ask it in his name. Amen.